Hey guys, we're going to read through a verse 12 tonight to follow along with you. I'm the true vine, and my Father is the Father of the Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless the vine abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered to the fire and burn. If you abide in me and my word abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I love you. Thanks, Daniel. Welcome to RES, especially if this is your uh, first time, or I guess even if it's your 40th time. Glad you're here. My name is Brian Sorgan Fry. What we're doing is uh, what we do normally at RUF. We take a book of the Bible and we just march through it. And we are looking at the Gospel of John this semester and considering John's claim that he chose these specific stories that he was an eyewitness to, to tell us about, so that if you believe on Jesus' name, you will find real life. And that's what we've been looking at. Does Jesus bring real life? And so I want you to consider a scenario that I think maybe you're familiar with, uh, because it involves dating. Uh, Think about this uh, made-up scenario, okay? There's a cute couple, guy and girl, that are dating, and uh, they've been dating for a couple months, and the guy gets comfortable, uh, and he just kind of starts being a jerk a little bit. Uh, he uh, is jealous. Uh, he gets mad at her whenever she talks to other guys. Uh, he says mean things to her. He's, uh, he's aggressive. And finally, she gets sick of it and says, you know what? Like, I'm done. Uh, I, I don't... I don't want to be in this relationship anymore. This isn't healthy. What happens at that moment? The guy says, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize that. I promise I'll change. They, so they, can, they agree to continue dating. And what happens? The guy's kind again. The guy pursues her again. The guy's gentle again. For how long? Three weeks? Four weeks? Until he gets comfortable again? And then it happens again. The old patterns return. Why? In that made-up scenario, did the guy actually change? No. There was a behavior change, but there was no actually fundamental character change. All that changed was that he feared losing something. And so that fear changed his behavior, but it didn't change his insides. Because threats of fear or pressure from the outside will not fundamentally change you. It can't. Something has to change you from the inside out. And when Jesus in this passage that Daniel read calls himself the vine and we are the branches, he is making this claim that Jesus will bring such real life to you 
that it'll bring a fundamental inward change that lasts forever. Jesus doesn't change you through fear, through pride, through behavior manipulation. He changes you from the inside out by his love. And that's different. Let me, uh, let me pray for us. Lord, as we uh, study this passage that probably is a little bit more confusing to us than it was to the disciples because um, we're not as much of an agricultural society. Uh, but Lord, you have the power to help us to see Jesus. So would you help us to draw near, even as John calls us to, and to abide in Jesus tonight uh, and really taste life. In your son's name I pray. Amen. All right, if you heard Daniel, Jesus uh, uses this gardening metaphor to talk about the way that Jesus brings real, substantial life by changing you in a way that lasts forever. He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you're connected to me, you will really change. A character change that actually, that actually lasts. And he calls it fruit. So what is the fruit that Jesus brings into your life when you're connected to him? Well, you can say it's the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. That's stuff that comes out of you. But he sums it up in verse 12. Did you see this? By saying, loving one another as I've loved you. This is the fruit that comes out of someone's life that is connected to Jesus that says, yes, that's real change. So that's the metaphor that he uses to talk about the real change that he brings to your life. And it's a warning on the one hand, right? It's it's kind of disturbing because he says, if there is no real fruit, you will be cut off. You'll be taken away because you're not connected to Jesus, who is life, which means you're dead. But also there's an incredible promise because it says, if you're connected to Jesus, you will change. He loves you too much. His life is too powerful to not change you. So, how do we change in Christ? Four things. We change by abiding. We change through pruning. We change by praying. And we change by loving. Okay? First, we change by abiding. This is verse 1 through 5. The foundational principle of this whole passage is that people bear fruit. People change by abiding in the vine who is Jesus. And that means the key to real life life change is owning what Jesus says in verse 5. Jesus says, I'm the vine, and you, we, people, are the branches. Think about that analogy. A branch disconnected from a vine has no life. No life in and of itself. A branch severed from the vine simply cannot bear fruit. It's impossible. Because it has no life source. A branch is completely dependent on a vine. And Jesus is saying, we're the branches. Which means the first step in real change is admitting this. I'm a branch. I cannot change myself. I don't have the ability, the power, or the life to do that. You cannot change yourself. You are completely dependent on something else to change you. You're you're dependent on the vine for you to bear fruit. You must always draw life from something else. You cannot produce it yourself. And Jesus claims to be the only thing that you can attach to for real life. A guy named Tim Keller uses uh, a Christmas tree as an analogy to help help us understand this, right? Think about a Christmas tree, especially if you're one of those families who does Christmas rites. You decide you're going to take the family trip to cut down the tree yourself. uh, And that thing that always ends in fighting and screaming at each other, right? You go out there, you find the tree... And you, you, go, you go down the trunk and you saw it. 
And as soon as that thing comes unhinged from the roots, you bring it home, you set it in a stand, you put lights on it, you decorate it, it looks beautiful. Is the tree alive? It's not. It was dead as soon as you severed it from the roots. And one day it's going to display that. It doesn't matter how many lights you put on it. It doesn't matter how much water you keep uh, you know, in the tree stand. Eventually, the death is going to show up because it's severed from the life source. And Jesus is saying, if you try to change yourself simply by your own efforts, by your discipline, by your morality, you can look very good on the outside. You can, you can grow up in the church. You can be religious. You can be well-liked. You can stay away from bad stuff. You can do all those things. And it's not the same thing as being connected to Jesus. It's like a Christmas tree. Because you're not drawing life from Jesus. You're actually dead on the inside. And so the first step to change, and actually the foundational step that we never move off of, is this. That I am a branch. I can never produce change myself. Change is not going to happen simply by human effort. It is only in Christ. Today, tomorrow, and the next day. It is a fruit of trusting Jesus and finding life in Him. Jesus is the point. So first, change comes by abiding. Second, change comes by pruning. This is disturbing, right? Look at verse 2 and 6. It should be, because it's a warning on the one hand, and, and I hope you'll see it's an encouragement. But Jesus says every single branch is going to be cut in some way. Either a branch is dead, so it's going to be cut off and cast away into a fire. Or if it's connected to the vine, it's still going to be cut so that it can grow. And so first of all, Jesus really does talk in such a way that dead branches will be cut off. That a branch that does not bear fruit will be removed. Now, don't take the analogy too far and say, wait a second, is this a person who's truly connected to Jesus and now isn't a Christian? Jesus teaches clearly that once you're connected to Jesus, you're always connected to Jesus. But what Jesus is showing is that the cutting of this branch makes plain what was already true, that it was dead, that it never drew life from the vine. It might have appeared to, might have outwardly at one point looked like it was connected, but it's not. Because it bears no fruit. What is the fruit? Yes, it's the fruit of the Spirit. But look at verse uh, 10. He talks about keeping his commandments. Verse 12, which he sums up as this. Loving one another as I have loved you. Jesus is saying... The fruit that displays you're connected to Jesus is real love for other people. Do not mix up the order. Jesus is not saying that your love for other people makes you connected to Jesus. But he is saying that you being connected to Jesus creates a life that starts loving other people. And if you're not loving other people, Jesus just says you're not alive. It's the same thing that John is going to say in 1 John 2 when he says... If you say you're in the light, but you hate your brother, you're still in darkness. So, this isn't always the most fun thing to talk about, but Jesus really is saying that if if you say you're a Christian, if I say I'm a Christian, yes, I believe in Jesus, but God doesn't care how I live, you need to really examine some things. 
Uh, my friend Ricky Jones uh, talked about when he was a campus minister, um, not at Ole Miss. Um, he said he remembers this conversation with a student who said, yes, I'm a Christian. Uh, yes, I love the Lord. Um, and he sleeps with his girlfriend. And he just said, I don't think God cares about that. And Ricky's like, really? Who knew? I, I could have an amazing college ministry if we just advertised Jesus doesn't care if you sleep with people. This place would explode. <laughs> There'd be so many people here. But what, what Jesus is saying and what Ricky was saying was the bearing fruit in your life that displays Jesus at work is that you begin to care about people. And I'll be honest, I'm kind of scared to talk about this because I haven't been here very long, so I don't feel like I've earned your trust, and I recognize that. Also, I just want you to like me, so I don't like saying hard things. But I, I think I do, I hope I do love you enough to say hard things where Jesus says hard things. Because he loves us better than anyone. And so hear me, Jesus really is saying, if you say you love Jesus, if you're connected to Jesus, but you're, okay, you're just simply okay with treating your boyfriend or girlfriend like an object for your pleasure, you need to really examine. You need to ask someone, am I okay? Because those two things don't go together. If you say you're connected to Jesus, but you're okay with racism, Jesus says... Those two don't go together. And yes, I know everybody says, no, well, most people say we're against racism. But I'm saying, like, are the things that you think about, even like flags of the state, will you consider whether you stand for it or against it because you love people? That's what Jesus is is talking about. That's the fruit that gets displayed. If you say you're connected to Jesus, but you're okay with treating pledges like crap. Jesus is saying you need to ask yourself some questions. If you say you're okay and connected to Jesus, but you're okay just thinking you're better than those people. So I never have to be around them. You could go on and on. The answer is not to see things in my life that aren't producing fruit and say, well, dang it. I guess i got to try harder. I'm saying turn to the vine. Turn to the one who is good and kind and forgiving. And he will bring real life to that area. But you've got to acknowledge it. And then Jesus talks about pruning. He says those connected to me, they still undergo the knife. And this is going to sound disturbing. But it's a big theme in the Bible. And one honestly, if you're like me... And most, most American Christians, we just try to avoid this truth. The Bible says one of the main ways that God changes our character is through suffering, through things that are frustrating, through hardship, the pruning. I don't know if you... I have no agricultural skill, okay? So I had to watch this on YouTube, all right? Everything's true on YouTube. I watched a guy who knew what he was doing, prune a plant. And it's kind of crazy. Because he's going in there, and he, he's doing all this quick work, and it looks like he's killing it. Like he's taking away all this stuff, and by the time he finishes, it looks like the tree's bare. 
But you talk to any gardener, anybody who knows what he's doing, he's saying he's just removing things that are hindering its growth. And it's actually a great analogy for the Christian life. Good analogy, Jesus. I just complimented him. Because, right, I'm sure he needed that. Jesus is the gardener, and he's saying the thing that's going to glorify my Father is that we bear fruit. Which means we become like Jesus and we love other people. And here's the deal. God will do whatever it takes, whatever it takes, to make you more like Jesus. And that means pruning us. That means doing things and letting things come into our life that doesn't feel like it's helping. But he's the master gardener. And he knows the only way that we'll actually bear fruit is to prune. That's what I would ask you. Do you know that Jesus loves you enough that he wants your character to change? That he's actually willing to allow suffering, hardship, and frustration to come into your life? Because there's things that would never change unless that came. How might God's cutting back on our life look? What might it feel like? Well, it's not fun. It could be the the big nasty stuff we think about, right? Confessing your addictions and confessing you're a branch and you need help. That's painful. It is. It's painful in the short run, but it brings a real joy in the end because those things inhibit growth. It could be confessing you're cheating to a professor. Which is painful in the short run. But in the long run, it brings real life. Or it could look like circumstances in your life that bring real frustration and pain. Pruning might actually look like your own loneliness. And look, you can be lonely and it not be your fault. Absolutely. But sometimes it's only in isolation that we begin to consider the ways that I actually hurt people. I actually am hard to be around. I'm actually selfish. I relate to people in shallow ways. And as you come to that realization, it starts pruning you. And real love comes out. It can be, pruning can even be Jesus going after the things that we're really good at. Because it's in those areas that we don't think that we need to abide in Jesus. It could be the unfair professor that gave you the grade that you didn't deserve is the only thing that begins to prune you from the idea that my academics, my success is what makes me okay. It's what brings me life. It could be the breakup, which is incredibly painful, is the only thing that prunes you from the idea that relationship with the opposite sex is life itself. That it's what makes you okay and secure. The tough truth that Jesus uncovers for us is that it is hardship and suffering that Jesus allows that will actually produce something that nothing else will. But realize the cutting comes from the one who loves you best. Again, if you watch the gardener actually prune, his hands come closest to the, to the, to the trunk, closest to the vine, deal most precisely and tenderly When he's pruning. And if you know the goodness of Jesus, even when things are painful or going on, it might feel like God is distant, but he's actually never been closer. He's like a surgeon with precision coming in and loving you. So change by abiding, change by pruning. 
Thirdly, change by praying. I'm going to be quick here. Verse 7, right? Abiding in the vine means talking to Jesus, communicating with Him. Did you hear this astounding claim in verse 7? This is awesome. If you abide in Jesus, His words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done. I'm like, sweet. Now we're talking. Now we're talking. I can ask Jesus for money, a clear future, a great job, great friends, a hot spouse. I don't fill in the blank. And look, don't, first of all, don't belittle this text. You really can come to Jesus with anything. Of course you can. He loves you. He cares more about your small needs than even you do. If you believe He loves you, that frees you to come with Him. Come to Him. So come to Him needing. But Jesus is saying this. If you abide in Jesus, as you see this, His words begin to shape you. Which means that you begin to ask for things that are near Jesus' heart. You begin to want what Jesus wants. Right? This is how any real close relationship works, right? The person that you're close to starts changing what you want. I've been married to my awesome and wonderful wife, Liza, for I think 12 years now. 12 years. And so look, when we first got married on our honeymoon, here's what I did. Because this is what I thought it looked like to love Liza. I planned our day, every day of our honeymoon, from the moment we woke up until we went to sleep. Activity all the time. Because that's what I thought loving Liza was like. I even, I planned a, a tour through the mountains in a Jeep to look for bears at 5.30 in the morning. <laughs> on our honeymoon. Because I thought it was awesome. And of course, because, G, because Liza's, you know, the new doting wife or whatever, she goes along and acts like she has fun. She hated it. <laughs> and we've been married for 12 years now, which means I now know what Liza thinks. Liza hates the mornings. And actually, she's made me start appreciating not doing stuff all the time, but actually slowing down. So now when we go on weekends away, I don't wake her up at 5.30. I let her sleep in. And I enjoy sleeping in. Because she's changing me. And I know what she wants, and I know what she likes, and she's awesome. And Jesus is saying that real change, real life happens as we draw near to Jesus, and it's such a close relationship. right? Jesus says, you're in Him, and He's in you. Think about that picture. That You see the beauty of Jesus, and you start wanting what Jesus wants. Because we start wanting true life. Because He's true life. And here's the deal. When you start asking for what Jesus wants, watch out. It's coming. You start asking to be poor in spirit. You start asking to be generous. You start asking uh, for humility. Man, that's what he wants. And it'll come. However, it'll probably come in such a way, you ready, that it feels like pruning. I don't know if you've noticed this, but if you pray for patience, how's patience going to come into your life? Here's how I think patience is going to come. I ask for patience, this magic spell happens and all of a sudden I'm patient. But you know how patience is going to happen? You will find yourself in relationships with people that are incredibly frustrating. It'll be long-suffering, which is what patience feels like. And then you'll begin, to, you'll begin to see your own impatience. And then as you see in your own impatience, you will start to really pray. 
And you will confess and you will say, Jesus, you did not die to leave me like this. And you know what will happen? You'll experience Jesus' patience with you. And you experience Jesus' patience with you. And you keep trying to be patient with other people. Here's what's going to happen. You won't even know it's happening. You will actually become more patient. You won't notice. Other people will. If you pray, pray for humility, yes. But watch out. When you pray for humility, it's going to feel like pruning because that means you're probably going to start seeing your sin. And lots of it. Because that sin will mean that you come to Jesus for forgiveness, which then levels our self-righteousness and brings about humility so that we can be with messy people because that's me before Jesus. If you pray for wisdom, it's probably going to mean pruning, which means you probably won't have a clear picture of what you're supposed to do after college. You'll probably have to face the own foolishness of thinking, I can control my future. And I know exactly what I need. And you'll actually have to trust Jesus with the unknown, which is wise. And so Jesus says we change by abiding, by pruning, by praying, and lastly, by, we change by loving. Look at verse 9. This is an incredible statement. He says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now abide in my love. Jesus just said, I want you to take this up. That in the same way that God the Father loves Jesus the Son, so I love you. How does God the Father love Jesus the Son? Well, God the Father has loved Jesus the Son from eternity past. He always has. God the Father dotes and delights over Jesus the Son. The only two times you hear the audible voice of God the Father in the New Testament, you know what he's saying? This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Y'all got to see this. How else does the father love the son? He shows off Jesus. He wants you to see how beautiful he is. He loves that he's his son. And you know what else the Bible tells us? That the father loves the son so much, so much that the son is in the father and the father is in the son. Mysteries of the Trinity. But don't you see all those things? are true of you, Christian. Jesus loved you from eternity past. He loved you before you ever even knew who he was. Jesus delights in you and is proud of you and like shows you off to the world as his child. Jesus says, I'm in you and you are in me. How much does he actually love you? Jesus just said, if you don't produce fruit, you will be cut off. Well, Jesus produced fruit his whole life. You know what happens to him at the end? He gets cut off. He goes to the cross and gets cut off from the fatherly love. As he bears my sin and my lack of fruit. This is the truth that you have to marinate in to bring real change. It's his love. Fear of hell will not change you, though hell is real. (laughs) Scare tactics won't change you. Shaming yourself and beating yourself up won't change you. Just trying harder tomorrow won't change you. True fundamental change comes from this. When you marinate in and abide in the overwhelming and deep love of Jesus. It's only his amazing grace that will change you. And look, when I start saying things like that, some people say, ooh, ooh. 
You can't say, you can't say that. You can't say Jesus loves you no matter what, even if you still struggle with this. Because then people will think they can do whatever they want. That, that makes me sad. Because what that means is you don't know what it's really like to be loved. Because when you experience real love, you want to be near that person. You want to know that person. You want to love that person. I've never met anybody so overwhelmed with the love of Jesus that they're like, I'll just do whatever I want. It draws you in. His grace is that real. And so what does that begin to look like? Man, when you're full of anxiety and fear, and we begin to be irrationally because you think that your entire life is dictated by how you did on an interview or how you're doing your freshman year, or when you think that this relationship didn't work out and so I'm undone or I'm going to be, maybe I'll never be married and I'm going to be single and I'll be miserable or, or you're frustrated with your sin, whatever, whatever categories those are, abiding in Jesus means taking a step back and saying, wait a minute, this is crazy. I don't have to panic. I don't have to manipulate and control everything because I'm loved by the God of the universe. I belong to Him. He is in me, and I am in Him. He will not withhold anything that I need. He loves me so much that He was cut off in my place. And that starts to bring some sanity. That's what it looks like to abide in Jesus' love for you. His love actually changes you. Not just your behavior, though your behavior will change, but what changes you from the inside out is what you love. Always. What dictates what you do is what you love. And it is only seeing the immense love of Jesus that will begin to change what you love. So I'll just end with this. Did you notice verse 11? I think this is astounding. Last thing Jesus says is this. So that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. What in the world does Jesus say that he wants us to abide in him so that my... So that uh, his joy may be in us and that our joy may be in full. Well, what, what do you think it mean if I told you that my joy is in Eliza? It at least partly means this. That Liza is so beautiful and so awesome and such a great wife and mom that she's a source of real joy to me. She brings real joy to my life. And what Jesus is saying is this. Yes, I want your joy. He's also saying this, you bring me real joy. That's crazy. But Jesus is saying, I'm so wrapped up in you that you, you who stumble to love people, you who are still in over your head in addiction, you fill in the blank, you bring me real joy. And he loves it. He loves it. So it begins to look, look like this. This is my closing illustration. Straight from Ricky Jones. Ricky Jones, do you remember when you, were, um, when you were just old enough to finally realize that you wanted to buy your mom a present and you'd never done it before? And so here's what happens, right? You realize like, okay, I need to buy my mom a present. I don't have any money. So what do you do? You go ask your mom for money, right? And she kind of starts realizing what you're doing, so she gives you some kind of job that you'd have to do anyway, like clean up your room, but she pays you like $10 for it. And then you ask your mom, hey, mom, what do you want for Christmas? And she realizes what's going on. She tells you about a necklace that she wants that's about $10, right? 
And then you realize, hmm, I'm six years old. How am I going to get to the store to get the necklace? So you ask your mom to take you to the store. Right? So she drives you to the store. Then as you're in the store, she acts like she wanders off. And you go over and you pay for the necklace with the $10 that your mom got you. And then you, you try to hide it. And then you get home. And then you realize, I don't know how to wrap. So you ask your mom to wrap it for you. And she wraps it for you. And she puts a bow on it. And she writes on it, to mom, from Brian. And then you put it under the tree. Man, do you remember what that morning is like? When she opens the present that she bought with her money, with her effort, with her wrapping, when she opens it, she cries tears of joy. And it's real. And it's not fake. And she says, thank you for doing this for me. It brings me real joy. This is what Jesus is like. Any amount of loving that we do towards other people as we fumble through, as we repent, as we confess, as we struggle, He loves it. He gives you the power to do it. He gives you the grace to do it. It's a ton of forgiveness. Everything is because of Him. But any little bit of loving others, it gets offered up to Jesus, and He loves it. He says, you bring me real joy. What if you could bring the God of this universe real joy tonight? Would that be worth it? Trusting Him, abiding in Him, brings Him joy. That's an invitation. Father, thank You for uh, even this analogy of a vine and a branch. That is, it's so helpful in some ways because if you look at a branch and a vine, it's hard to know where a vine uh, uh, starts and where the branch starts. And I, I think that's kind of the point. You draw so near to us that we're not sure where you start and where we begin. Where it is hard to love people, where we see our sin. Uh, Many of us are frustrated with things that we struggle with. Teach us to abide in your love. Man, will we taste a little bit of the joy that you promise us from coming coming from the fact that you find joy in us. That would be worth it if we tasted that tonight. In your son's name I pray. Amen.